And welcome to Think Hard, the podcast where two trained philosophers think hard about the real world. I'm Danielle Lasusa. I'm a philosophical coach in Portland, Oregon. And with me today, as always, is my illustrious co-host, Jose Muniz. Hey, everybody. I'm Jose Muniz, and I teach at Lehman College in the Bronx. Jose, do you remember way back, I can't believe this is like 15 years ago now, but do you remember back in the 2004 presidential election? Do you remember who the candidates were? I believe it was Bush Kerry. Yeah. And like the big cultural issue was gay marriage. Wow. Yes. Seems like such a quaint time now. But one of the things that happened in that election, and this was a really big defining moment for John Kerry's campaign, actually, in one of the debates, he had this moment where they were talking about this $87 billion funding package for the Iraq war. And Kerry was like, well, I voted for the bill before I voted against it. And then Bush accused him of flip-flopping. And the narrative from then on was Kerry can't make up his mind and he keeps changing his position and he was for it before he was against it yeah that's right yeah and i honestly think that was one of the things that have undid him and it started like this big cultural conversation about whether or not he did flip-flop and then if it mattered if he did or not and the way i look at that is there are two possibilities that were either he did change his mind Mm -hmm. or he didn't but he had a consistent position that was sort of more nuanced and somehow underneath those two seemingly opposed positions and either way I'm wondering just sort of been reflecting on this in part because I kind of see my own uh, intellectual journey here as possibly changing my mind it's caused me to really think about what's the possible harm in changing our minds or flip-flopping as it were on an issue <laughs> Or if you don't want to use that language, sometimes we have complexities in our thinking so that either it looks like we have two contradictory ideas or, in fact, we do have two contradictory ideas. And I'm wondering how much of an intellectual problem that is. Is that something that we as intellectuals should allow for? Is it something we as a public should become better at allowing for a gray, nuanced space? Or should we really demand of our thinkers and our public officials and our public intellectuals that they have a consistent position and something that they can defend over time? Hmm. So that's really the issue that I'm interested in today. Well, consistency. (laughs) This is a hard one. (laughs) Well, of course, in part, this has come to my mind because you constantly accuse me of being inconsistent on this very show. And especially after our last couple episodes ago, the one about prostitution, Mm -hmm. the paradox of bodily fluids episode, I just was listening back to that episode and I was like, I don't even know what the hell I was talking about. And I just seemed very (laughs) unclear, (laughs) like kind of embarrassed of my scrambling in that episode. And then I couldn't even like remember what my previous position was. And it made me feel like, what am I doing here? Is it that I just maybe haven't done enough work in a particular set of issues? Or maybe I just don't value value consistency in the same way that you do. And so it's just, it's raised this question for me. Should we care about consistency? And if so, why? And if not, why not? And of course, this is probably most obvious for intellectuals, you know, people who lecture or you write. But this is something I think that is true for all human beings in their own lives. Should you be consistent in your parenting? Should you be consistent in your romantic relationships? Should you be consistent in how you manage your employees? 
Now, this is a big question. Let me give you my pre-theoretical ideas about consistency, and then maybe we can talk more specifically about thinking after that. What do you okay, think? Okay, that sounds good. All right, Dee, I'm going to tell you something very embarrassing about myself. I <laughs> <laughs> can't wait. <laughs> I love the beginning of that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so, in my teenage years, I had an issue with using a certain very bad word. Okay. The N-word. Now, mm. I want to be very blunt. It was wrong. It's just, as I s sit here in front of this microphone, an older man, I recognize how bad that was, how wrong that was, all of that. Mm. Okay. But, you know, teenage people born in a certain time in New York City, I was not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The N-word was being used quite liberally. Mm -hmm. And it was never used with sort of racist or racial intent. Mm -hmm. It was just, it just, it was a crutch word. It was a, you know, that, that's a, not to excuse it, but I had this problem. And then as often happens, I went to college I took a course and I learned, I, I was enlightened about the use of this word, its history, what it means, how even if you're not using it, in a racist sense, you're reinforcing a social positioning of some group by using that word. So I learned all the bad things about it. Consistency told me, if I am going to hold the position that people should not use this word, and I am consistent with that, that means I can't use it either. And mm -hmm. I never used it again. And what I like about that is it saves me from the rationalization many people do when they think it's acceptable for me to make an exception in this case. The mm -hmm. idea that, well, I'm not actually a racist and I'm actually just talking to my other friend who isn't even black. I can use this word. And it's like, no, a consistent position about the horrors of this word helps you to protect yourself from the kind of excuses you will give to get out of what is wrong. So I think that's one way of looking at consistency. It's a guard of some sort. Mm. But then, you know, I went to grad school <laughs> and I developed even more intellectually. And I began reading a bunch of writing about what it means. And this is a very controversial subject, but just bear with me. What it means for groups to take on words or mm -hmm. terms that were used against those groups and how mm -hmm. it can be empowering. And yes, I know that technically the pronunciation is different. That's a side conversation. But I began to see that a very radical, nobody should ever use this word, consistent position may actually not reflect the complexity of the real world. Mm -hmm. It could be that this word used by members of that community isn't the great moral crime that I think it is when I use that word. And in that sense, I think sometimes inconsistency actually better reflects the world. So mm. the question I would pose to people about consistency is, do you have that kind of story? Consistency is good to protect yourself. And so if you're in a situation where you need to protect yourself against self-serving exceptions, then maybe consistency is important. 
is a situation so complex that inconsistency is actually more honest than a false rigid consistency, then maybe inconsistency is more valuable. But you have to tell that kind of story about that situation. That's what I think right off the bat. Yeah, well, there are different ways to use this word consistency. You seem to be talking about consistency in terms of there's the consistency of this is how I think and this is how I act. And I want those two things to be consistent. I want those things to be integrated. You may have a quote unquote consistent position in the sense of certain people can use that word and here are those people and these other people can't use that word. Mm -hmm. Like that's a nuanced position, but it's also a consistent one. Yeah, but Carrie could say the same thing. At that point, you're starting to make a more sophisticated, literally nuanced argument. He could say, well, the situation when the bill was first proposed was one way. And so I was being consistent in saying no then. But then it changed. And so I was being consistent in saying yes. So I think, yes, there is a difference between act consistency and belief consistency, but they're actually, they build up on each other. I guess I'm more interested in the belief consistency right now. Okay. Because intellectually, especially as philosophers, we talk about Aristotle was one of the early people to expressly talk about the law of non-contradiction. It's like a basic logical tenet, right? You can't have a and not A. They just can't go together. Mm -hmm. And so we often think about intellectual and logical consistency is really important and critical to be a clear thinker. And we often demand it of our students. It just seems like there's a tension. In this part of your paper, you seem to be saying this. And in this other part of your paper, you seem to be saying this. So which one is it? Right. And we like demand these things of ourselves and of our students all the time. And I think that there is certainly a value, right? If you start breaking that, then like things can get really weird and sideways. But I also am just wondering, does that way of thinking limit our ability to accept the evolution of thought over time? Let me respond to that, but then maybe we can give up the example and move to more concrete things that we've been talking about. So my original position, well, my second position was this is a bad word and it is morally wrong to use it. And being consistent with that gave me some good things. And then I had to reach a point where I realized that that consistent position was too rigid and was actually not reflecting reality. And so I had to hold for a time an inconsistent position, which is it is a morally bad word in one context, but it's not morally bad in another. And then that became a new position, which is, I think, what you're pointing out now. Mm -hmm. A new consistent position, which is certain groups can use it for certain reasons and other groups can't. But there is that evolution where if you talk to me when I first went to college, and this is why, you know, first year students are so beautiful. You, I was, I was baptized. I was in the fire of this is a horrible word. It is, it is because of its reference to some historical facts. It is charged with its moral horribleness and any use of it is just carte blanche morally wrong. Mm -hmm. And I had to get to a point where I was now holding an inconsistent position where I still thought it was morally wrong, but I kind of saw other people being okay with it. And that had to become a new consistent position. Right. And there's always that middle area where your beliefs are changing or maybe not fully formed. That is this big jumbled hot mess. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that is often a place that we don't really allow our public figures to inhabit that space very often. You know, we want our speakers to have like clear and consistent points of view. And I think that this I don't know what I think area can be often seen as a point of weakness. Well, there's a difference between staying in that middle inconsistent position and 
evolving to a new consistent position, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think it's right to just stay in that kind of, I don't know, position? Or is it okay so long as you're going to something new? Yeah. On the one hand, I would say, you know, as an educator, I'm like, no, well, that's the process. It's like the caterpillar, before it becomes a butterfly, it actually just turns to mush. Like Mm. inside the chrysalis, everything turns to mush Mm. (laughs) before it reforms and emerges. And so I think that, yeah, like the mush is part of the process with the hope that there's a butterfly on the other side. And I do want our students and myself to go through that. But I also think that there are so many things to think about in the world that actually a majority of the things that we think about, we kind of are mushy about. Yeah. Does that seem right? (laughs) Yeah, but I don't think that's good. So I'm going to take a position here. I think it's good and we should often find ourselves in these middle positions where we're kind of no longer consistent because we're going to something else. But I don't think it's good to wallow in that middle ground. And it's very easy to do that. And I think it leads to very soft thinking. So this comes up with parents all the time. You know, they have their first kid and they may be very afraid to let that child do things on their own because it's the first kid. And so they put certain restrictions and then they have their second, third, fourth kid. And by the fourth kid, it's like, you know, they just put the kid out in the morning and come back in the afternoon. (laughs) They've completely just changed Uh because they're not as afraid anymore. And the oldest will often be unhappy with this because it's like, you know, you never let me ride my bike to the mall and you never let me do this. And it's just like, well, look, yes, it is inconsistent that we had this one set of rules based on a certain set of beliefs for you when you were growing up. And now there's a new set of rules. But I have come to the point where I realize my overbearing protectiveness was not useful. On the other hand, you can have a parent who's just ad hoc all the time. And that ad hocness is just favoritism. And so like the daughter isn't allowed to do certain things, but the sons are always allowed to do certain things. Mm -hmm. And that kind of inconsistency, that's never going to be right by me because that's the kind of inconsistency that is self-serving exceptionalism. Right. But I think I want to challenge your position that being mushy or unclear about our thinking about most stuff in our life is a bad thing. I think well, that holding yourself, it. but holding yourself to any other standard, I think is just sort of unreasonable. What do you mean? So let's get personal here. Uh oh. I find myself sometimes just like changing my mind <laughs> from episode to episode, and then you call me on it, and then I get like all in my head about it. And that there are times where I think that I'm not being inconsistent, and then sometimes I feel like I am being inconsistent, and then I'm like, well, why does it matter? And you, I think, in general, have a much stronger sense that consistency is important for intellectual rigor. And I guess I have much more of a consistency is something that we cannot always expect from ourselves, and that it doesn't speak necessarily to a lack of rigor. It just speaks to a level of honesty that we have to have with ourselves. Let me pause at this. What protects you from being self-serving in your inconsistencies? Not much. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, That's an easy one. (laughs) So I think that's very dangerous. Yeah, yeah. If I had a position that said, it's wrong to sleep with your students. Uh And then I said, well, that's just a human convention. What's really wrong is hitting on a student who doesn't want to be with you. But she really wants to be with me. Can you see Mm -hmm. the... 
problem I'm setting myself up for, yeah. which is I'm going to see something I that may not actually be there and then make the self-serving exception for myself. And what was the point of all of my intellectual work if in the end of the day, I was just going to be led by the nose, by my desire, make mm-hmm. some crappy exception for myself and then reread that exception into the situation. So that's right. one side. Right. Yeah. The other side is how can you expect to be able to interact with people outside of yourself if you don't have a consistency and i don't just mean action consistent i don't let's forget about action consistency yeah if you don't have a belief consistency how can people outside of you interact with you like it seems so ad hoc and -hmm. yet i hope i'm not saying too much here you're 25 years old danielle (laughs) people have interacted with you for 25 years they don't seem to have a problem doing that because surprise surprise i guess we're gonna get into it i do think there's a consistency with you a belief consistency with you it just hasn't been articulated yeah so i guess those are the two big charges well yeah i mean your first point about what is keeping you from being self-serving man i mean my honest answer is not much Right. I mean, and honestly, I think someone asked me if I believe in free will. And my true honest answer for that is I think I believe in it when it serves me and I don't mm, when, it, when it doesn't. Exactly. Or maybe I don't really believe in it, but I use it as a tool that is like a big foundational part of a lot of my other belief systems, even though I'm not totally convinced it's true at all, mm. which is, I guess, a slightly different position. But unfortunately, I think that's often how people do things. And I'm not saying that it's necessarily the right way to go through the world. And I agree that it's really dangerous. We can justify and change our beliefs to kind of fit whatever situation we want. And it's hard to trust people and it's hard to trust yourself. It's part of the reason that people are like, okay, I'm going to give up gambling. I'm never going to do it again. And then you have this whole belief system about why it's bad for you and why you shouldn't do it. And then, oh, well, I really kind of want to. And then maybe I'll just kind of do it because it's sort of fun. And I I come up with a reason. And so I think that I don't have a good answer for that first one. I think that, yes, it can be dangerous for that reason. It can be dangerous and also self-defeating. Like, what was the point in figuring things out if in the end, tomorrow, I could just give that up? for a self-serving exception. Yeah. Yes. Maybe it's spending the time figuring it out leads to greater consistency. I think my Mm. point is that there are a lot of issues about which we're not consistent because we haven't done the work yet. Yes. Those are areas in which we can kind of just like do whatever serves us. (laughs) I'm curious about your second point. You think that I actually do have a consistent position that I haven't articulated? Because I got to know what this is. Like I... (laughs) I am not going to say very much because... I am not going to be accused of mansplaining on this podcast. I'm already in enough trouble. (laughs) I'm just going to say some very broad things here. Okay. Okay. And you can push back. I mean, this is, we're talking about you, so. Okay, I'm ready. I believe that in rough terms, you're a secular humanist. That you do Uh believe in a broader notion of the human than the mere biological. And I know you say you don't, but I, from the things you've said, I do believe you do that. I don't think you mm. believe in a soul, but you think uh-huh. being human is about more than just our physical, biological processes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe that you have a sense of sociality, that we're not just random automaton individuals, but that we can collectively group up and that that collection of people has special properties. You know, the details may not be out there, but that there is something about human beings in groups that isn't just a bunch of bodies. Mm -hmm. And finally, I believe that you have a position that believes in higher concepts. So your position on hope, Mm. I think it's metaphysical. I don't think that's a bad thing. 
but I, I know you don't, but I do think you have a position that these concepts, these ideas are special. They're not just words we use. They're not just language. Those three positions to me sound like secular humanism. Now, why am I so much more consistent or why do I seem so much more consistent is because I'm a theist. And so I have a thing called theology. (laughs) Even before the birth of Christ, from time immemorial, there has been a group of people thinking about all of the possible ways that a system that involves human beings and a God and groups of human beings in a society and how they should work and interact. They've been working out these issues and they come up with a bunch of problems and they come up with a bunch of potential solutions. Like there's a whole history to that train. And so when I'm born in 1986, the really, really hard work has been done for all these thousands of years and the easy problems, they got fixed. And even the really, really hard problems at least have a history. And so it's very easy for me to join the conversation. Mm. Obviously, you know, philosophers are still working out problems, so it's not all done. But I come in with a whole context that allows me to say this problem looks a lot like the will to believe with James. And the minute I do that, I know all the pros with James and all the cons with James. And so I already know how to like structure this because James did all that work. And the same thing with like... Right, and James uh, being a theist himself, right? Right, exactly. And the same thing with the conversation we had about free speech. That was basically saying Kant got a lot of things right and he got a lot of things wrong. So how can I save the things he got right without getting into the things he got wrong? Well, I did that because Kant and a whole bunch of other people started down that chain. And I think the biggest thing, in my opinion, for you is as a secular humanist, you're starting at ground zero. Mm. That this is a relatively new thing. My impression is atheism in particular has just now started to get out of being a movement against theism and into a movement for what atheism is, if you understand the difference I'm trying to point out. It's not like Richard Dawkins wagging his finger at why the theists are stupid. It's not just something that's in opposition. It's not just a negative thing in opposition to something else. It's a positive thing about what you guys believe. And so you have to do all this work from scratch. And so it doesn't seem like there's a consistent position. But I think, Mm -hmm. you know, that's your lot in life. That's what you chose. And (laughs) as you build up. At some point, if you believe in a universe without God, you will have to answer what it means to deal with sexism or to deal with prostitution without mm-hmm. a whole theistic system. And as that gets answered, two and three generations down the road, it will seem much more consistent than it seemed in that episode. What do you think of what I've just said? Man, so I think you're right. Secular humanism does seem like the right term for my position. Having you talk about giving up, because I was raised Christian. Mm-hmm. And then I like gave that up. And so then all of those answers about the world kind of went with it for me. And I had, you know, certainly I retained some of those even without consciously realizing it, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But having you talk about now you've got to work it out on your own, just I'm having like flashbacks to my freshman year of college when all this stuff came crumbling around me. And I'm like, well, what do I believe now? I don't even know what to do. And, you know, I was in these philosophy classes and I would read about Buddhism. I'd be like, yeah, some of that sounds good. Okay, I'll take some of that. 
that and then read about existentialism and be like, oh, some of that sounds good. I'll take some of that. And now I'm picking and choosing from these different schools of thought and trying to see how they all fit together. In a way, it's kind of like taking jigsaw pieces from a bunch of different puzzles and trying to make them all fit together. And I think that's part of the reason that it does feel so mushy in my brain sometimes is because Buddhism is a very, very old tradition. Mm -hmm. And obviously there are variation, just as there is in Christianity, about how to answer specific questions. But there are centuries of people working it out. Whereas saying, okay, I want to like cherry pick from each of these things and then mash them together into something new and try and synthesize it. It's a lifetime of work to try and do. And so in a way, I feel a little bit more forgiving of myself for not having it all clear in my mind. Right. And I think you should. I think you should not be forgiving with this comfort in staying in that position, though, Mm. that the the mush is okay. So there's two sides to it. So one side is going to say, look, what if these things are just incompatible? What if existentialism at the end of the day is incompatible with Buddhism? And now you have these two things and you're trying to make something fit that will never fit. They're two puzzle pieces to a completely different puzzle. And Uh if you hadn't taken Nietzsche your second year of college and instead you took philosophy of language you would just have a completely different set of beliefs and Mm -hmm. now all of a sudden you seem to just be in the wind and i tend to think the other side which is what they will always have in common is their truth so the things that are true about buddhism will by the power of truth fit the things that are true about existentialism Mm. because guess what they are true and the things that aren't true about those things may not fit but the things that are true will and so let's just find the things that are true about the things we believe and we shouldn't worry about incompatibilities what do you think of that oh man that seems to be like really dangerous territory though because doesn't that undercut your narrative here that you've got this fully formed history of thought that you subscribe to i mean my guess is that you do not subscribe to every part of christian doctrine well i subscribe to the true parts Right. Right. But you see, the point that I'm making is we don't have to worry about incompatibilities if we realize that what is true, what is actually true about things will always be compatible with all truth because that's just how truth is. Like, it's just what is. And so just because I have these different sources doesn't mean they're going to be incompatible. Now, I happen to have the sources I have, but even within themselves, they're incompatible. Even within Catholic theology, there are different traditions. But the Mm -hmm. things that are true are true. And so I wouldn't worry that I'm taking from one or another. As you work them out, you will come up with a consistent position. You just have to be committed to the working out. And what I think many people end up doing is they don't want to work it out. (laughs) And so they're sitting down and they're telling their younger kid they can do something and their older kid complains and they just want to say, well, look, I'm the mother. I can just do what I want to do. And they don't sit down to actually think, well, What am I really saying consistently about my parenting? Mm -hmm. And the same thing in romantic relationships, you know. It's okay for you to go out with your friends to a concert and I stay with the kids, but it's not good for me. And then Mm -hmm. that inconsistency is just unresolved and then people get divorced. But what if one of the things that I am mushy about is whether or not there is truth, (laughs) right? Truth period? Well, no, I think... I think that one you're going to have a little more of a hard time with me. Yeah. I don't know if I believe in moral truths. I think that like some things are good for some people and sometimes and other things are good for other people and other times, which is inconsistent with my feminism in a way. You know, it's bad to oppress people. And yeah, well, 
I want to be able to say that. It's bad to oppress people, regardless of where you are in the world. And I want to be able to say that, again, when it serves me or when it serves other people. But then when I really think about my metaphysics, I don't understand how that true statement exists in the world. My little claim was just that the things that are true will be compatible. It's not Mm -hmm. that what you want is going to be compatible, which is a a much, you know, I think, undefendable position. Mm. If it turns out that there are no moral truths and there are no moral facts and it is just opinion, if that's really true and it's really true what you believe about feminism, then those things will find some way to align themselves by the nature of them being true. But you have to actually figure that out. And I think what's really dangerous is the position of being comfortable without figuring it out. Because I think that leads to self-serving exceptionalism. And finally, it it leads to a kind of throwing your hands up and just going by what you want to do anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we see that in not just intellectual life, but we see that all over the place. Right. And it's a kind of laziness. Yeah. And I think that there's something important in what you've said. However, I really don't think it's our responsibility, each one of us, to be perfectly consistent or to be striving towards perfect consistency on every issue that we could possibly engage with. Because I don't think it's reasonable. And I think that as human beings walking around with cognitive distance and logical inconsistency, it was your point about like, you've got to be able to interact with people. Mm-hmm. And I think that as long as you are consistent enough to be able to do that in a way that, you know, keeps society running, that you're kind of okay. I will agree that this operates in a spectrum. I can't be consistent in my beliefs about zoological phenomena because I don't have time for that. (laughs) Right, right. And the same thing, like I can't be consistent in beliefs about the economy because I'm not an economist, right? Like I do think that there's a spectrum. I think the things that are core to you, you really do need to be consistent. And if you're not, it should be a serious project of you to reflect and figure out how can I get to a consistent place with this? But on the edges, I'm probably more lenient When I look at most people, they are quite comfortable being inconsistent about things that are really core to their lives. Mm. And that's it's dangerous. It makes me wonder what's the point of thinking at all or reasoning at all. And I think ultimately it allows us to justify doing bad things to others. And I think that the interesting part in all of this is I'm thinking back to that like example that we started with, with John Kerry, Mm -hmm. where he said I was against it before I was for it or for it, whatever he said. And I think part of the debate about that was people trying to point out or find the consistent through line and saying, like, what is the value or what is the belief here that was driving both of those things to show that there is consistency there. Right. And I think that that work, that intellectual work that we do is is part of why we do what we do, right? We're philosophers and like it is this puzzle of like what is the through line here that makes this all fit together and that is very satisfying, you know. But I do think, I mean, and forgive me for saying this, like mm-hmm. I do think that there is some, like the demand for universal consistency, this kind of like perfect integrity yes. is in, perhaps embedded within your intellectual framework already, right? Like the belief that we ought to have this kind of integrity is part of the theistic Christian doctrine that is your belief system. I know what you mean, 
Like, I know what you mean. I've, yeah. I've heard this before. What I will say is two things. One, many people who say this, and many people do say this, have no great study or appreciation of the wild history of Christian intellectual life. Mm -hmm. For the vast majority of Christianity, from the very beginning, it has been wild fights about commas <laughs> on clauses <laughs> of words with horrible camps fighting with each other. Consistency is not something that comes out of the Christian intellectual tradition. But I understand the idea behind what you're saying, that there is this kind of rigidity to thinking, uh -huh. holding fast to this thing that comes off of that. And I, I appreciate that. And I think I can see how you can value consistency more than the goal. And the goal should be solving some problem. The goal should be living a good life. And if you value consistency more than solving the problem or living a good life or loving other people, then you're pretty fucked up. I mean, let's be real. Let's just talk straight. Mm -hmm. But you know, even I have an answer for that, though. I mean, that's because you don't have the right character, right? Your character should be able to f value things in the appropriate measure. I don't think that means consistency should go out the window or shouldn't be valued. It just means there are other values and some of them should be more important. Right. Mm -hmm. And just to say that there is battles within the Christian tradition, like that's a different issue than valuing consistency, right? Like I think that perhaps part of the reason there are such battles is because people want to be consistent. <laughs> And because they do value consistency so highly. Right. But I understand what you say. You know, you've obviously done a lot of intellectual work on all of these issues in order to find a fully rounded and integrated position that you bring to each of these issues that we discuss. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's because you have this history to draw from. And I appreciate that about you. And I appreciate you bringing it to our conversations. I feel like it's taught me a lot. And actually, I respect you a lot because it's clear to me that you've done so much intellectual work to come to these positions. And there are times where I feel like kind of a lazy intellectual <laughs> and like I'm shooting by the seat of my pants. And also that I just don't care as much about those things and I'm not sure if I should. <laughs> Can we put it in a different way? <laughs> so I think consistency helps. It helps me achieve things. That's one of the reasons I value it. Can you think of something that inconsistency helps you with? Right? So like, what's the value of inconsistency? Mm -hmm. So I started this whole thing by saying, sometimes you should be consistent. Sometimes you should not be. Mm -hmm. And I have a story about how that should resolve, but I, I see value in both. Can you think of what's valuable about being inconsistent? I think it allows for greater understanding of a particular situation and flexibility about staying open-minded. I think sometimes consistency can lead to rigidity or dogmatism and consistency for its own sake can be this, you know, stake in the sand that doesn't allow for evolution of thought. I think allowing yourself to evolve and change over time and coming to new ways of looking at the world is an important thing for us to do. And if we are so committed to consistency so early on or as a like an ultimate goal, we may not be as open to that process of reevaluation. I think it's a great way to end. Well, listeners, we'd love to hear what you have to say about this topic. Do you think that Jose got it right about my school of thinking, especially you longtime listeners? If you've heard lots of our episodes, we'd love to hear what you have to say about our intellectual positions and whether or not you think intellectual consistency is important or not. So please let us know. You can come to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thinkhardpodcast. You can tweet at us or you can tweet at our podcast at thinkhardpod. Don't go away. We're going to talk about what we've been thinking about since our last episode. But first, we're going to talk about Audible. Audible. 
Audible has the largest library of audiobooks in the world. And one book that our listeners might like to check out per our conversation. And you know, Jose, this is so funny because I was looking up books to try and recommend during this session. And so I just went to Audible and searched for the word consistency. And one of the things that popped up was a book by the pastor at my old mega church that I used to go to. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of those like churches with the big jumbotrons and the 20 piece band on stage and the nosebleed section with the live video feed. I'm Roman Catholic, have no sense of what this is. Oh yeah, this was like a... This is the real deal, like in the movies. It was like a fucking like Pink Floyd concert. Wow. It's great. Yeah. And Bill Hybels was the pastor there at Willow Creek Church. And he has a lot to say about consistency, apparently. There's a book called Who You Are When No One's Looking, Choosing Consistency, Resisting Compromise. Hmm. I have not read this book. I cannot attest to its quality. But if you read it, you probably will get a little sense of what I grew up with as a young person going to church there. And I would be very curious, Jose, to know what you would think about this sort of Christian perspective perspective about consistency yeah (laughs) (laughs) well can i just say very quickly so you talked about integrity you know very early in the episode saying Mm -hmm. it made complete sense but i didn't think about it at the time for me part of consistency is about having integrity and integrity is about combining all these things so intellectual consistency obviously but also like compassion part of you should have the ability to say i should show mercy even though consistency says i should send you to jail in this particular Mm -hmm. situation i should and so i would be very interested to see what a take from this person would be. Uh, no compromises seems to me <laughs> that mm-hmm. how, how can you be, how can you have integrity with multiple different virtues and have no compromise? Yeah. I don't know how it was done. Listeners, tell me. Yeah. If anyone has read this book, please let us know. We'd love to hear what you have to say about it. And you can listen to this book right now for free. If you haven't listened to this book, you can do it and then let us know what you think about it. And you can do it for free if you just go to thinkhardpodcast.com slash audible and you can listen to that book for free and then write on our Facebook page or tweet at us and tell us whether or not this book is any good. And if you send a book review to the website through the contact uh-huh. page, I will have the best pizza in your city sent to you. <laughs> that is a promise, folks. Wow. And we all know that Jose is a man of integrity, so he'll do it. It will twice. happen. The first person only. <laughs> it will happen. All right, folks. So you can listen to that book right now for free. Just go to Think Hard Podcast slash Audible. If that book doesn't speak to you, you can listen to any of their other audiobooks for free. After 30 days, you get one audiobook a month for $14.95 a month. And then you receive 30% off the price of additional audiobooks. You can cancel at any time. Any books that you get are yours to keep, even if you cancel. So again, that's thinkhardpodcast.com slash Audible. Thinkhardpodcast.com slash Audible. Okay, Jose, what have you been thinking about since our last episode? Well, Dee, I know you probably haven't heard about this because you're a wild, radical vegan, but Popeye (laughs) has come out with a chicken sandwich. This chicken sandwich has Mm. taken the world by storm. Uh, It's all over Twitter. Uh, It has been reviewed by The New Yorker and The Washington Post. This Popeye's chicken sandwich is the most amazing thing to come out of the food culture in America this year. Oh, my. 
That's strong, strong, strong. claim there. Yes, it, but it is true. It's it's taken the world by storm. Okay, so it's three ninety nine. Local franchises are running out of them within an hour. So the there was this one TV news report that the biggest Popeyes in the Bronx sold two hundred and fifty of these sandwiches in. 30 minutes. Oh my god. It features a brioche bun. (laughs) Brioche? Brioche. I don't know. Listen, Uh, folks, (laughs) I may be a snob, but I can't pronounce shit. Uh, All white chicken breast, which is so wrong. It's the dark meat's better, but whatever. Sliced pickles and mayonnaise on the plane. Mm. And then there's a spicy mayo on the spicy Mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple reasons that I wanted to bring this up. First, this shows to me the yearning of the general public for quality. Even though this is a shitty sandwich, and I'm sure it is, this shows that people don't just want slop. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea of trying to get the better chicken sandwich that is far in excess of the actual quality of the sandwich. This is why people really care about it. It's huge. Popeye's chicken sandwich. Have you had it? No, good God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm curious. I mean, I I feel like I probably won't go try it, but I did have a moment where I thought that I should. Well, thank you, Jose. So I have been thinking about, actually, this is a book that I read, God, like probably four or five months ago, Hmm. and I'm still thinking about it. Roxanne Gay's memoir, Hunger. Oh, yeah. It's called Hunger, A Memoir of My Body. And it is just so good. I mean, it's like harrowing. It deals with this really tragic event that happened in her life and how she responded to it. And her way of responding was essentially by making her body bigger to sort of protect herself. And she talks about that experience and sort of the way that she responded, but also about, you know, what it is like to be a person who is over 400 pounds Mm -hmm. and how she moves through the world and how people look at her and how she thinks about her body and how she thinks about her relationship to food and her relationship to fitness and her relationship to like reality TV about weight loss. And Mm -hmm. it's just really, I don't know, something about it just really gripped me. And I thought it was fascinating. And she talks about it so honestly and so painfully and with such skill. I highly recommend Roxanne Gay's Hunger. So that's our show for today. Please come visit us at thinkhardpodcast.com where you can find all of our archives and you can leave a comment or a question for us. And again, go back to our Audible ad. If you skipped over it, you got to go back and listen because Jose has promised pizza to anyone who read the book that we recommended and gives us a book review. To the first person who provides us with a book review. All right, you can come to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thinkhardpodcast. Please leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Let your friends know about us. Help spread the word. Thanks to Dan Short, our editor and engineer. You can find him at danisnotshort.com. Thanks to Ben Sound at bensound.com for the music for today's episode. You can follow Jose Muniz on Twitter at the Muniz. You can follow me, Daniela Sousa, at Daniela Sousa. And you can follow Think Hard at Think Hard Pod. That's our show for today, and we'll be back again in two weeks. See ya.